One of the signs of vitality for a local congregation, no matter its size, is to be found in the desire of those who attend to mentor one another, to mentor those coming into their life, and to mentor the next generation in the practices of the faith. Far too often, folk will come to church because they believe they have needs to be met. They will come looking for the right preacher. They'll come looking for a robust Sunday school or youth program. They'll come looking for the right kind of music. They'll look for the church with an emphasis, the right emphasis, on outreach and politics. They'll come because their friends worship there. They'll come because it's convenient or beautiful or just the right place to be. But I tell you, if they come for any of these reasons, then they will most assuredly leave at some point in the future. Because the preacher failed to be likable or sufficiently challenging, or because attendance at Sunday school dropped off, or the music began to disappoint, never here. Or, or, or because, see, because coming ceased to be convenient, or because their, their friends began to worship elsewhere. Show me, however, the parish where the people come because they're interested in learning about the practices of the faith, how, how to read scripture, how to serve the disenfranchised, how to praise God, how to sacrifice for the cause of the common good. Show me the parish where these practices are front and center. Show me the parish where the people are inculcated with a passion to mentor others as they are being mentored. And I'll show you a vibrant, growing, excited, exuberant congregation with a bright future. Numbskulls though they are, the disciples in today's gospel lesson they're asking to be taught. It's the one and only place in the whole New Testament where the twelve have the forethought, the presence of mind, and humility to ask Jesus explicitly for instruction. Teach us how to pray, they say. And this one question prompts a summary of prayer that has united Christians throughout time and around the globe. Earlier this week, I sat in my office with a parishioner who was inquiring after prayer. There are countless writers, theologians, and mystics who have provided commentary on prayer. Read them, I said. There are countless bishops, priests, and deacons of the church who will hold forth on prayer. Listen to them, I said, but... If anything they have to say begins and ends somewhere other than where Jesus began and ended, you may have been led astray, I cautioned. The Lord's Prayer is a type and model for prayer that enables and instructs. It identifies the one to whom we pray, and then it provides six tasks, six works that prayer means to accomplish. The address, says Jesus, the address of prayer is to God, the one who presides over all creation from beyond all creation. 
Jesus models an intimacy here that his disciples are to share, praying to God, knowing that the only bloodline that matters is the one established by faith in baptism, our Father who art in heaven. The Lord's Prayer then continues with these tasks, these works it hopes to accomplish. And the first work of prayer is to rest in the presence of the sacred, to glory in the wonder of God's presence, to bless the Almighty for the goodness shared with you. Hallowed be thy name. The first work of prayer, adoration, resting in the presence of the holy. The second work of prayer is to dream. Yes, to dream, to prophesy, to look beyond the limitations of the present day and on to what the present day will become for the sake of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here, heaven is the destination, the journey, the dream, the realized science fiction, the romance fulfilled. The second work of prayer is to dream for the sake of God. The third work of prayer, it's the ask, it's the petition. You might, you might tend to think of this as the main work of prayer, asking, but look how far down the list that comes. Three hots and a cot, that's fair game, even in some instances a must, but it's not the only work of prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. The third work of prayer is the ask. The fourth work of prayer is confession. No need to be guilt-ridden. Neither is there a need to be ignorant of those things you've done wrong, will do wrong, are still doing wrong, don't know that you're doing wrong. With intent to amend your life, ask forgiveness of God. And as you walk in the forgiveness that is yours, you begin to live into the forgiveness that you must offer those who've wronged you. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. The fourth work of prayer is confession and forgiveness. Now, the, the fifth work of prayer, the fifth work of prayer seeks distance from temptation and trial. The addict knows well the power of circumstance and vice. The prayer of our Lord seeks to avoid the circumstance that leads to corruption and the vice, the vice that corrodes from the inside out and lead us not into temptation. The fifth work of prayer would put distance between you and temptation. And finally, the sixth, the sixth work of prayer, it seeks cover. It seeks cover from all that would draw you from the love of God, all that would blunt your love of neighbor, and all that would dull your desire for the holy. Deliver us from evil. Six works of prayer. Address God intimately as a blood relative in faith by baptism. And then the six works. Rest 
in the glory of God's presence. Dream of the unfolding kingdom of God. Ask for your daily bread. Confess your sins. Forgive the sins of others. Seek distance from temptation. Seek cover from all that denies the love of God and neighbor. How shall we then pray? With the words of our Lord. Emulate Christ in prayer and imitate Christ as teacher. Now, one day, someone will come to you and ask, how shall I pray? It could be your son or your daughter or your granddaughter, your neighbor, a friend, your spouse. One day someone will come to you and say, how shall I pray? They may even sharpen the point just a bit and ask, how do you pray? When that day comes, whatever else you do, do not shrug your shoulders and say, I, I, I don't know. Do, do not reply, that's not really for me to say, you need to find your own way. No, take your place as a mentor in the faith. Tell them the story of today's gospel. Point them to Jesus. Being a Christian must include developing the sensibilities of a mentor, one who nurtures and courts the world in faith for Christ. Whether you are nine years old or 90, it was your reason to wake up this morning, this being a mentor. It will be your reason to wake up tomorrow morning, this is the glory, this work of mentoring. It's the glory you have to offer God. It's the loyalty you have to offer Jesus and an extension of the salvation and justice that Jesus has brought to the world. How shall we then pray, comes the question. Tell them with the words of Jesus. Peace.